0: Let's pray together. Gracious God, glorious God, our Father, we praise You, we thank You for Your rescuing grace. As we sang this morning, we've come as sinners, but by Your grace, we're sons and daughters now. And we call You our Father. You are so glad. You are so glad to rescue us and save us. So we pray that You would keep working in us today we need you we need to hear from your word we need to hear new and glorious truths or be reminded of them at least again and again so i pray that you would uh, through your holy spirit teach us today you would astonish us by the gospel you'd give us fresh insight into your goodness and your your glory and your plan for us For you'd give us glad and joyful hearts ready to submit and to obey and to trust your Word, to believe in your promises. We pray that you would teach us by your Holy Spirit, and I pray that you would make us all more like Jesus because of the time we've spent together and around your Word. Uh, This we pray in the great name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So this Michael Phelps guy... He makes me feel kind of lazy. Doesn't he? All that swimming. (laughs) There is no doubt that Michael Phelps has devoted his entire life. He has sacrificed a normal life for Olympic glory. For Olympic gold. That is his goal. That is what he lives for, isn't it? I don't just feel lazy, though, when I... When I think about Michael Phelps, I, I, I admire him quite a bit. I, have you heard about his, his workout routine? It's insane. Six days a week, six hours a day, 12,000 calories a day. I can't even imagine that. He, it's, they think he swims about the average of 50 miles per week. I haven't done that in my whole life. Pretty sure. Because he does all this, because he has something right in front of him, a goal in mind, something that he has given his life for, glory, gold, renown. I face the fact that I'm never going to be an Olympic athlete, uh, and probably none of you will either, right? So, you know, it's kind of reassuring that I don't have to get up and work like that. But as a Christian... Did you know that all of us are called to contend for the faith, to contend for the gospel with the same type of zeal and commitment and passion that these Olympic athletes compete with? Not just some of us, like in the Olympics, you know, such a small percentage of, of athletes in the world ever make that stage. But as Christians, all of us from the greatest to the least, we are called to contend for the gospel with that type of passion, that type of resolve. This morning, we're going to begin a study in the letter of Jude for for the month of August. And Jude gets in our face and says, get off the couch, stop watching the games, you're in the game, train for it, live for it. Give your life for it. And it is the gospel. Jude writes this letter to remind us and his church back then that the gospel is so valuable, it's not just to be believed in, but it's to be contended for. That it doesn't just transform you the first day you believe it, but every single day afterwards. But Jude also says, be on guard because there are people who are going to sneak in and try to convince you of another gospel. Oh, but they are going to be sneaky, sneaky. They are going to try to smuggle in another gospel that's just enough different that you could be deceived. So stand firm, contend, know, love, delight in the gospel. And be ready to help others who might be doubting. Because God is going to use you to bring them along in repentance and renewed faith in Jesus. Jude's letter is perhaps one of the most neglected books in the Bible. And uh, we're going to change that, and we're going to do it right now, so I want you to turn there. It's one of the last books. It's the second-to-last book or letter in the Bible, just before Revelation. It's small. You might miss it. It's probably only a page in most of your Bibles. Only 25 verses. Although it might be one of the most neglected letters, I think it's one of the most needed messages and letters in the Bible for every generation of Christians, for every generation of the church that has come and gone we need to hear this message as you're turning there I want to just give you uh, a small overview of the flow of the letter before we read it so you kind of get a lay of the land uh, first is the introduction verses 1 to 2 uh, next slide and we'll show that introduction verses 1 to 2 verses verse 3 is this call the real purpose of the letter to contend For the faith. Verse four, Jude lets us know about the challenge that's come about to our faith, and then verses five through sixteen, the real uh, body of the letter, Jude tells us about the challenges. He gives us proof of why the gospel is being threatened, and verses seventeen to twenty-three, he then gives more specific directions on how to contend for the faith, and then. Jude ends in beauty with this beautiful, most famous doxology in all the Bible where his delight in God and his confidence in God's promises just soars to the heavens. So that's, that's kind of the flow of the letter. And uh, since you're there, let's read it together. Starting in verse 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called... until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah in the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued a natural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But, When the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them! For they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam Zerah, And perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts. As they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves. Waterless clouds swept along by winds. Fruitless trees in late autumn. Twice dead uprooted. Wild waves of the sea. Casting up the foam of their own shame. Wandering stars. For whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they've committed in such an ungodly way, of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is those These who cause divisions. Worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garments stained by the flesh. Now to Him, who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Yes. Thanks be to God. It's a pretty heavy letter, isn't it? There's a lot of things in the letter of Jude that his church understood right away. Allusions to the Old Testament. Stories of the people of God. Stories of judgment, of unbelief, of falling away from the faith. Stories that actually to us might be a little bit confusing. That's why we want to introduce the letter of Jude today by looking at the first four verses. Because he he sets the tone of the letter right in those verses before he gets into the real heart of the matter of what is going on, the challenges to the faith, uh, and the, the compromise that these false teachers are tempting the church with. He helps us understand that there's something so much more powerful than the threats against the church, to give them hope so that they can contend against the challenges that are right at their doorstep. We're going to look at verses 1 through 4 and get straight to the heart of who Jude is and why he wrote this letter. So I want you to just keep your Bibles open to Jude, verses 1 through 4. and We're going to dig right in. The thing that we need to get today as we begin the study of Jude is that Jude wants his church then and us today to know that the gospel, the faith, the good news about our common salvation is so valuable, we must contend for it. Blood, sweat, and tears contend for the gospel. And as we look at these verses, we're going to see that the gospel has transformed us is entrusted to us, and is being threatened. The gospel has transformed us, is entrusted to us, and is being threatened. When we look at these three things together, we'll really get a good idea uh, of the purpose of Jude. So, let's get started. Uh, first thing in verses 1 through 2 is that We must contend for the gospel because the gospel has transformed us. Something has changed within us that we would actually desire and know that we should contend. So let me tell you about Jude. Uh, Hey, Jude. Yeah? First of all, Jude is not the Jude that the Beatles were talking about. He did write this letter, most likely in the 60s, but not the 1960s. Okay? Okay? And he wasn't driven by a girl. He was transformed by the gospel. This Jude, well, you know, you can tell a lot about a person by the way they talk about themselves, right? Well, Jude, you can see that he has a new perspective about who he is. Look in verse 1. He calls himself Jude, a servant or slave of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. James. Do you know who James was? James was one of the most important leaders of the early church. He was the lead pastor, the senior pastor in Jerusalem. He wasn't one of the original 12 disciples, but you know what? He was the brother of Jesus. He was the half-brother of Jesus. One of Mary and Joseph's other children. The Apostle Paul calls James, the brother of our Lord in Galatians 1. And in the Gospels, we actually even get the names of some of Jesus' brothers. And James and Jude are included in there. So if James is the brother of Jude and James is the brother of Jesus, who does that make Jude? Also, the brother of Jesus. And yet, how does he describe himself? The servant or slave of Jesus. He didn't throw out their brother of Jesus, you know, the Messiah, Lord, King. He's my brother. No brownie points. Instead, he goes with deep, deep humility, doesn't he? But it wasn't always this way. Did you know that Jesus' brothers thought he was crazy? They did. They thought that he was crazy, and they were filled with shame. It was like, stop embarrassing the family. They didn't believe what he preached and they didn't believe in his miracles. They did not believe at first that Jesus was the Messiah. But here we know that something changed between Jesus' death and resurrection. Jude became convinced that Jesus was the Messiah and was so transformed by the gospel That he would call Jesus his Lord and Savior, his sovereign King. Once Jude was hostile to Jesus, thought he was even demon-possessed, the Gospels say. Isn't that horrible that he once was that way? But isn't it awesome that he repented and he changed, that God transformed him to believe in Jesus? Isn't it wonderful that he repented? Isn't that wonderful for us? Yeah. There are so many people in our life, maybe we, <clears throat> we ourselves, who once thought that Jesus was crazy or following Jesus was crazy. And yet, if Jude can be transformed, so can't we and so can't anyone. Isn't that a beautiful truth? Doesn't that give you hope? Doesn't that give you hope for people in your life that you want to be transformed by the gospel? That you want to have come to find the hope and forgiveness and healing that you have found in Jesus? This is how the letter of Jude starts. So much in just a few words. We see that the gospel transformed Jude. But not only just Jude, but the whole church. Take a look. Verse the last part of verse 1, Jude goes on and describes the church as those who are called, beloved in God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Unlike some of the letters in the New Testament, we don't know where this church is from. It might have been still the church in Jerusalem, maybe Antioch or somewhere else. But we do know what's most important, who they are who are they? The called ones who are beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. To be called, to be beloved, and to be kept. Jude came to understand for himself that His relationships and his identity is not based on biology and birth, but rather theology and second birth. That's why he could call Jesus Lord when, in fact, he was his brother. The church also is transformed. We don't just call God God. We call him our father, our Father. We're family. Like it or not, right? We are. And that means even though we didn't get to choose each other, we're with each other. And we're being transformed to love one another because God has loved us and his love is overflowing in us and through us to one another. So, what's this mean to be called? Well, Jude actually. The way he structured this sentence literally reads, to those beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, the called ones. He wants to emphasize that what it means to be called is exactly to be loved by God, to be loved in this ocean tidal wave of God's love that just envelops us, and to be kept for or by Jesus Christ. Because of the Gospel, God the Father will not love you any more than He loves you right now. And He will not love you any less tomorrow. That's how powerful the Gospel transforms us. We are beloved by God. End of story. It is finished. Yeah. We're also kept... The gospel gives us this good news that we are both kept by and for Jesus Christ. Nothing can rip us out of his hands. And nothing can take us from his heart. The gospel has changed us, transformed us. Not just at conversion, but every day. This is ongoing. The experience of our common salvation goes on and on. And we've got to go deeper into it. That's why he prays. In verse 2, for the church, look at it. It's a very short prayer. It's a good one, though. May mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. May it just burst forth in abundance. May it run wild in your life. Do you want that? Don't you want that in your life that you would experience God's mercy, his peace, and his love? more and more we need this don't we maybe you've said this to some of your friends or family i just don't feel that close to god these days you ever have seasons like that days weeks months maybe years where it seems god is not close we need to contend for the faith we need to pray One of the ways that we contend for the gospel is to pray prayers like this for each other. Because I can't change you, you can't change me, but God can. And that's why we pray, to ask God to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. So if we are convinced that the gospel transforms us, that will lead us to the next step of understanding that the gospel is so valuable that we should contend for it. The more we realize how valuable and powerful the gospel is, the more we're going to understand Jude's mission for us. So not only does the gospel transform us, but the gospel is entrusted to us. Look at verse 3. Let's look at how the gospel is entrusted to us. Beloved, although... I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation. I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Next slide. Thanks. Sandwiched in between Jude's command to contend for the faith or contend for the gospel is this unthinkable reality that God has actually thank you God has actually entrusted the gospel to people like us can you believe that you and me that the gospel is entrusted to us why would he do that something so valuable so life transforming Can't you just give that to like professionals? But to people like us, he gives. it. I want to take a look at what he says here, kind of line by line. We'll think about the gospel. Then we'll think about what does it mean to be once for all entrusted. And and then what does it mean to be entrusted to us, to the saints? First of all, just just look again at verse 3, how he describes what he was doing as he's writing. He says that, I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation. He is eager. He's chomping at the bit. He can't wait to get to write a letter about our common salvation or about the faith or really about the gospel. He is stoked about the truth, about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, and he wants his church to be just as stoked and pumped about God's promises in Jesus. He was convinced, just like the Apostle Paul, that the Gospel should be of first importance. Take a look at 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1-4. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 1-4. Here we see that the Gospel should be of first importance. Only one thing can ever be of first importance, and only the Gospel should be. Paul says now I would remind you brothers of the gospel. I preached to you which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, in accordance with the scriptures. The gospel is the fulfillment of God's promise to rescue us. That the Creator God is the redeeming God, the rescuing God. And that the rule and reign and renewed relationship with God is possible. Because of who Jesus is and what he has done. His death on the cross, he took God's wrath that was ours. He died the death we deserved, but God raised him from the dead to show the world that he didn't die for his sins. He died for ours, and he is now the king of the universe. The only Lord, the only sovereign, and the only one through whom forgiveness of sins comes. And the power for a transformed life is guaranteed. The gospel is the good news of our common salvation. So the question is, do you you delight in the gospel like Jude does? Are you eager, maybe not to write a letter to someone, but maybe a Facebook post, maybe a little text, maybe a phone call to say, I want to encourage you about something that I saw. In God's Word today. This promise is amazing. And I want to share it with you. I'm praying. But you know what? I'm also seeing that God is doing that in our church family. More and more. This summer marks uh, seven years that I've been serving as one of your pastors. uh, And ten years of pastoral ministry. And I am blown away many times by the growth. The gospel growth. That is rippling through our church family. We're not the biggest church around, but I pray by God's grace, we're growing deep in the gospel so that we will grow wider too. That more and more people that you are praying for, that you are talking to and sharing the gospel, will come to know Jesus. It starts with this delight in the gospel that Jude has, that I pray will have. The gospel is also once for all entrusted or delivered. He describes the gospel in a little different phrases, but it means the same thing. It, It seems as though he wanted to write a letter about our common salvation. Then he goes on to say that instead he's writing to contend for the faith. It may seem like he wrote two completely different letters, but I don't think that's the way it is our common salvation and the faith once and for all delivered is the same thing. His emphasis in this letter might have been different than he intended because he wants us to not just know about the faith or our common salvation. He wants us to contend for it. He wants us to live the life of faith, not just know about the life of faith. Furthermore, he describes this faith Or the gospel, the faith, once for all, delivered or entrusted. The gospel is not some man-made recipe of self-help. It's not just some religious good idea. It is God's proclamation, message, declaration to the world that there is indeed salvation. There is rescue. There is deliverance. There is forgiveness. There is new life. There is transformation Through Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the rescuing one. That's what is entrusted to us. This is not just in here as a message to be read. This is the message of the Scriptures entrusted to us to give to our neighbors and to give to the nations and to humbly submit to so that we too can be changed into the image of Jesus. The Gospel came to us in this direction from God to Jesus, through the apostles to the church in every generation afterwards. Our generation is responsible for it in being entrusted with the Gospel and to make sure that we give it to the next But not just, here's a book. Read it. It tells you about the gospel. It's not just that. It's, look at my life. I will show you what it looks like to follow Jesus. When we talk about the fact that we are all disciples who make disciples who make disciples, this is what Jude is talking about. To contend for the faith in such a way that our lives are so transformed, we're bringing others along with us. So that they too will know the Gospel and be changed by the Gospel. Maybe you might be a little confused in this because it says, "In once for all delivered to the saints. That is not a loophole. Saints. That's Mother Teresa. Really special people like that. Right? I mean, most of the times, like, you look at someone who's extraordinary and you say, well, you're married to, to him or her. You must be a saint. Right? Like some super person, super spiritual man, super spiritual woman. No, that's not at all how the Bible talks about saints. To be a saint is to be a forgiven sinner by the grace of God. If you're a Christian, you're a saint. There you go. And that, and you know what? God is going to keep making you more of a saint, more like Jesus. It's not once for all done, but in terms of the process, but he does call us saints, called out ones. I don't know about you, but, well, let me ask you think about it. What's the most valuable thing? that you've ever been entrusted with. Maybe it was your dad's car first time. Get your license, you go for a ride. For me, it was my son, Zachariah, and Caleb afterwards. I I just was blown away by the fact that after a couple days in the hospital, these doctors, trained people, professionals, would actually take the baby and say, here you go, time to go home. I'm like, are you kidding me? Can't we stay for a week, a month? Get this thing going? I know, not yet. (laughs) Now, we drove the car home, Zach. You didn't drive it home. I was like, how on earth could you entrust me? I never raised a kid. You're entrusting me with this child for the rest of his life? What were they thinking? (laughs) In a similar way, Shouldn't we feel that way about the gospel? It's so valuable, so powerful, so life-changing for everyone that we should think about how we're handling the gospel every day just the same way that we should think about how we're handling our kids every day. Are we being faithful with what we've been entrusted with? As we go through Jude's letter, Verses 20 to 23 really talk about how we will contend for the gospel. How as a church, we should handle the faith once for all entrusted to us. Let me just give you a sneak peek. Take a look at verses 20 to 23. Uh, The command in verse 3 to contend for the gospel is mirrored in verse 20 to 23 with the command, Keep yourselves in the love of God. It's really the same command, the other side of the same coin. When we contend for the gospel, we're proactively keeping ourselves in the love of God. But then Jude goes on and lists three or four different ways to keep ourselves in the love of God, which is contending for the faith. Uh, Take a look. He says that we should be building ourselves up in our most holy faith. So... We should be studying. We should be meditating. We should be digging into the Scriptures more and more and more and all the time. We should be seeking out how Jesus is the point of all of the Bible. All of God's promises are yes in Jesus. So we should be building ourselves up in the faith that we see in Scripture. But we should also be Praying in the Spirit. And in Jude's case, what he means by that is that we should be submitted to God's Holy Spirit so that we pray, Holy Spirit, take my prayers and conform them to the will of God. That God would do in us and through us what he's promised to do through the power and person of the Holy Spirit. Next, we should also be waiting For the mercy that will be ours when Jesus comes back. When was the last time that you thought about Jesus' return? That King Jesus is going to come back. He's going to finally and fully crush Satan under his feet. And he is going to make everything sad come untrue. He will bring about the justice and vengeance that we long for. But don't just think about that for us in our church. Think about this for the church all around the world who sees even more clearly what Jude is going through with false teachers coming in with another gospel and leading whole churches astray. Jesus will set that right. He will bring judgment against those who distort the gospel and deceive God's kids he will bring final and full justice. But for us, the judge is our Savior. So we look forward to that day when Jesus comes back. Jude also says that we should be reaching out in mercy to those who doubt. In verse 22 to 23. We should contend for the gospel, not just for ourselves, but for those in our midst, those who also are with us In the local church, but who are doubting the power of the gospel, doubting maybe even the purpose. Maybe they're confused because of some book they've read, or some teacher they've heard, or maybe just some of the doubts in their own heart. God will use us as we are contending for the gospel to reach them and bring them back to a renewed relationship with Jesus. So, what's at stake? Not just a whole set of doctrinal beliefs. That's part of it. But what's at stake is the life of faith. The life of faith is at stake. That's why we should contend. Why should we contend for the Gospel? Not just because it's been entrusted to us, but actually because it's being threatened. The gospel is being threatened. It has been being threatened ever since Jude's day and ever since to today and will tomorrow. We must contend because the gospel is being threatened. Look at verse 4. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. There are intruders. The church was being intruded by false teachers. Like I said, they were being sneaky, sneaky. They were trying to smuggle in a whole nother gospel. But they were distorting it just enough so that some people were being deceived. They literally slipped in. And they almost, almost went unnoticed. But Jude and the apostles remind the church to be on guard. Have you ever noticed how many of the letters in the New Testament are concerned about false teaching? And are calling the church to contend for the faith? Maybe they don't use the same language as Jude. But they had the same heart and passion that the whole church, all of us, would be consumed with a passion for a doctrinal purity and a life of purity and holiness as well. You see, the crime of these false teachers is that they perverted the grace of God into sensuality and they denied the lordship of Jesus. So Jude, knowing this... He rightly fears for his church. And today, we should fear for one another and the church around. That Are we on guard? Or are we just going to wait till something happens? <clears throat> Will we love the gospel so much that we, we know it through and through? We love it with our hearts. And we'll know something when it's counterfeit. Isn't that true? I've, I don't know. I was never trained this way with lots of money, but uh, they say the best way to find a counterfeit bill is not to handle lots of counterfeit bills, but to handle real money all the time, right? That's how they train people. So when a counterfeit comes along, they know instantly it feels different. It's the same way with us. We don't have to go out there and learn about all the cults and all of the false teachers that have come our way so that we'll know how to, <laughs> how to counter their argument. No. No. We need to know the gospel so much that we know false teaching when we hear it. You know, it would be really cool if false teachers just wore a t-shirt that said, hey, I'm a false teacher. I hate Jesus. Come follow me. Straight to hell. But they don't. They sneak in. That's why there are so much more Sinister to our faith than you might think. In Jude's day, these false teachers were probably itinerant preachers traveling from town to town. There weren't as many churches back then and there weren't as many preachers. So this was open game for people who were devoid of the Spirit, who weren't truly saved but wanted to make a buck and maybe wanted to gain some power. So they took enough gospel, twisted it, and use it as a platform for their own selves. They were involved in the everyday life of the church. Jude mentioned, as we read it earlier, that they were even involved in the love feast, in communion, in the Lord's Supper. They were hanging out with the church. They were presenting themselves as pastors. But they were concerned about themselves, not the church. That's why Jude says in verse 17... You must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. Are we living in the last times? Yes, and Jude was too. We've been living in the end times since the days of the apostles. And the church has been warned since then. That we should be on guard against teachers who just want to tickle our ears. Tell us what's nice. False teachers are going to be the people where you sit back and say, I kind of like what he says. Sure, he doesn't quite say it the same way we do, but there's something about it that I just find encouraging. What other people are saying, he's off. Or she is off from the gospel here and here. Rather than naming names this morning, let me see if you recognize the voice of these intruders who pervert the gospel of grace and deny the lordship of Jesus. might go something like this. I'm covered by grace, so it doesn't really matter how I live. I know it's wrong, but God will forgive me. How could a loving God send such a nice person? You don't know Aunt Ethel. How could such a loving God send her to hell? I'm glad I don't have to worry about my salvation. I said that prayer. I just want practical advice from now on. Just just give it to me straight. I've got the whole salvation thing, you know, going to heaven. Just help me know how to live from now on. Let's not talk about sin and judgment. Let's just talk about the love of God. Okay? Can we do that? Half a truth plus half a lie always equals a lie, doesn't it? A condemning, damning lie. When you pervert the gospel, you get grace that forgives, but not grace that transforms. And the gospel is the good news that God forgives and transforms his people. So if you hear something that puts transformed life on the shelf, that puts self-fulfillment above Christ's glory, that might be a perversion of the Gospel. We're going to dig into more about what the character and strategy of these false teachers are like in the weeks, couple weeks to come. Today, we just need to hear the call of the Word of God and of the Spirit that all of us should see that the Gospel is so valuable, so powerful, that we should contend for it. That we should seek to be transformed by it. That we should be in awe that we've been entrusted with it. So that we can live a life of faith submitted to King Jesus to show the world what it looks like to walk in God's ways. That's our calling. That's what God has called us to be and to do. I'm praying that God will use our our study of Jude's letter to ignite faith. Would you pray that too? That God would ignite our faith in His promises. That we would delight in the gospel of good news of forgiven sins. But we would delight in the good news that He transforms our lives. And that we would contend for the gospel with Olympic zeal and passion and urgency. Jude says, get off the couch, get in the game. Start training, start contending for the Gospel. By God's grace, and for His glory we will. Amen? Let's pray. God, we praise You for the Gospel. We pray that You would, through Your Spirit, Help us to uh, contend for the gospel and that you would change our lives, make us more like Jesus. We know that you can do that. We know that you will do that. So we trust you to take your word and through your spirit, make us more like Jesus. We pray this in the great name of Jesus. Amen.